Welcome back to our study of First Kings. We are in First Kings chapter seven this week, and First uh, Kings chapter seven is dealing mainly with the temple and with some of the specific aspects of the construction of the temple. And it's a fairly long chapter, over fifty verses long. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read through uh, the chapter, and I'm just gonna stop sort of along the way and make comments on things that I think are significant. And uh, so we'll just work through the chapter that way because um, whenever you're reading the Bible, and uh, I think this holds true often whenever you're teaching as well, um, that there are some passages of the Bible, and maybe you've encountered this in your Bible reading, uh, the detailed instructions about the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, for example, or the genealogies at the beginning of First Chronicles, um, or passages like this in First Kings, where there are, are um, extensive details that um, are easy to get lost in. And what can happen is if we try to go too slow and understand everything and try to grasp everything, then we can get bogged down and stuck and we end up not finishing the book that we're reading because we went through too slow through a difficult passage. Um, and so some, sometimes it's better to go quickly and get the big picture so that you can keep moving and actually finish the book rather than to try to go too slow and then um, lose interest or lose your way and you never end up finishing at all. So rather than spending a long time working through 1 Kings chapter 7 uh, detail by detail where we might get lost or overwhelmed or give up, uh, I just want to work quickly, quickly through the chapter this week, uh, hit the highlights, and then we'll be moving on to um, 1 Kings chapter 8 next time. So let's start reading. 1 Kings chapter 7. It says, Solomon was building his own house 13 years, and he finished his entire house. Now, what's interesting about that, the first thing to note here, is that right at the end of chapter 6, if you'll recall, we are told that um, Solomon was seven years in building the temple, but now we're told that he was 13 years in building his own house. So seven years for the house of the Lord, 13 years for his own house. Makes you wonder maybe if his priorities are a little out of whack, right? Spending more time on his own house than on the temple of the Lord. Then verse 2 says, He built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was a hundred cubits, and its breadth fifty cubits, and its height thirty cubits. And it was built on four rows of cedar pillars, with cedar beams on the pillars. And it was covered with cedar above the chambers that were on the forty-five pillars, fifteen in each row. There were window frames in three rows and window opposite window in three tiers. All the doorways and windows had square frames and window was opposite window in three tiers. So this um, part of his house that's called the house of the forest of Lebanon apparently looks like a forest when you walk into it. It's got rows and rows of these massive cedar beams. And if you, uh, if you do the math on the dimensions of this room, 100 cubits uh, long and 50 cubits wide, and a cubit is about 18 inches, um, that this room was about 11 or is over 11,000 square feet and it had a 45 foot ceiling. So this is a massive room, uh, sort of an, it looks like an indoor forest uh, that Solomon built. Then verse six says, and he made the hall of pillars. 
its, its length was 50 cubits and its breadth 30 cubits. There was a porch in front with pillars and a canopy in front of them. In verse 7, and he made the hall of the throne where he was to pronounce judgment, even the hall of judgment. It was finished with cedar from floor to rafters. So this is the place where Solomon would, um, as it says, pronounce judgment for uh, cases he heard. Remember back in chapter 3, the example of the two women, each claiming that the living child was theirs, um, and he pronounced judgment in their case. This is the place where he's going to do that kind of thing. All right. Um, verse 8, his own house where he was to dwell in the other court back of the hall was of like workmanship. Solomon also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter whom he had taken in marriage. So he's got the hall of pillars, the hall of the throne, the hall or the excuse me the forests of uh, the house of the forest of Lebanon, his house, his quarters where he dwells, uh, a house where his wife Pharaoh's daughter will dwell. So this is a huge complex it's built of the finest material with superb craftsmanship. Um, so again, remember the theme of, of much of these early chapters of 1 Kings is the, the wisdom that God gave to Solomon, um, the uh, unique uh, breadth, breadth of the wisdom that, that God gave to Solomon. Um, we can say here that this was the house that wisdom built, right? This is Solomon constructing a beautiful structure uh, with the wisdom that God gave him. And then verse 9 says, All these were made of costly stones, so there's more of the finest material, cut according to measure, sawed with saws, back and front, even from the foundation to the copping, and from the outside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, huge stones, stones of eight and ten cubits. And above were costly stones, cut according to measurement, and cedar. The great court had three courses of cut stone all around and a course of cedar beams. So had the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the house. So again, as I already said, it's, just, it's built of the finest material with superb craftsmanship. Now, we shift back from Solomon's house to the temple in verse 13. It says, And King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in bronze. And he was full of wisdom, understanding, and skill for making any work in bronze. He came to King Solomon and did all his work. Now, uh, some things to notice about this. One, at first, this sounds like the king of Tyre himself, whose name is also Hiram, has come to Jerusalem to do this construction project for King Solomon. But as the ESV Study Bible points out, this is probably not King Hiram. It's another Hiram from Tyre who has come to do this construction. And if you think about it, that makes sense because for the king of Tyre to come to Jerusalem for years and years and years to build something for King Solomon doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This is probably not the Hiram that we read about back in chapter 5 or chapter 6 um, who Solomon made a treaty with and, and you know, um, was uh, providing so much of the labor and the materials for Solomon's building project. This is probably a different Hiram, just happens to have the same name. And it is interesting that he is, uh, he was born of a Jewish mother, 
and a father who was from Tyre. So he's the son of a widow from Naphtali. And then the other major thing to notice is that we're told that he was full of wisdom, understanding, and skill for making any work in bronze. And I think this is supposed to remind us of the man named Bezalel back in Exodus uh, chapter 25 or 26, somewhere around there in the instructions of the tabernacle. Um, you, or you read about uh, Oholiab and Bezalel, uh, and also later in chapter 31 of Exodus, um, who was likewise uh, gifted with this ability to do superb um, craftsmanship for the construction of the tabernacle. So, for example, Exodus 31 says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by, by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And note this, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. So God gifted this man, Bezalel, filled him with the Spirit, and en enabled him to do excellent work with all these different materials so that this beautiful tabernacle could be uh, constructed for a dwelling place for the Lord. Similarly, now, we have this man named Hiram, who is likewise a skilled craftsman who is uh, building this temple, which now replaces the tabernacle as the dwelling place of God in the midst of his people. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 15, he cast two pillars of bronze, 18 cubits was the height of one pillar, and a line of 12 cubits measured its circumference. It was hollow, and its thickness was four fingers. The second pillar was the same. He also made two capitals of cast bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. The height of the one capital was five cubits, and the height of the other capital was five cubits. There were lattices of checker work with wreaths of chain work for the capitals on the tops of the pillars, a lattice for the one capital and a lattice for the other capital. Likewise, he made pomegranates in two rows around the one lattice work to cover the capital that was on the top of the pillar, and he did the same with the other capital. Now the capitals that were on the tops of the pillars in the vestibule were of lily work, four cubits. The capitals were on the two pillars and also above the rounded projection, which was beside the lattice work. There were 200 pomegranates in two rows all around and so with the other capital. He set up the pillars at the vestibule of the temple. He set up the pillar on the south and called its name Jachin. And he set up the pillar on the north and called its name Boaz. And on the tops of the pillars was lily work. Thus the work of the pillars was finished. So here we get into some of the serious details of the construction of the temple. Uh, this describing the two pillars that were uh, sort of outside of the front uh, entrance of the, of the, uh, the temple. And uh, they're so big and so significant, they even get names, right? And just like we talked about with the inside of the temple, that it's meant to recall uh, the Garden of Eden with all the flowers and gourds and trees and cherubim and whatnot, uh, these pillars likewise, the capitals on their tops have lily work and pomegranates carved into them also to recall the temple, uh, or excuse me, recall the garden right there at the entrance to the temple. And, and by the way, let me say here, um, 
reading a passage like this is one of the places where it's extremely helpful to have a really good study Bible. So, for example, the ESV study Bible will give you pictures of what different um, pieces of furniture in the tabernacle or the temple looked like, what the temple itself looked like, what some of the carvings might have looked like, and show you where they were placed and things like that. Uh, if you're like me and just reading the words doesn't really give you the full visual picture, you need to see somebody draw it out, it's really helpful to have something like that uh, to, sh to look at as you're reading the passage. So if you've got something like that available, I encourage you to take a look at it either while we're working through the passage or or uh, right afterwards, so you can sort of visualize what all this looks like. All right, verse 23. Then he made the sea of cast metal. It was round, 10 cubits from brim to brim, and five cubits high, and a line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. Under its brim were gourds, the garden imagery again, for 10 cubits, compassing the sea all around. The gourds were in two rows, cast with it when it was cast. It stood on 12 oxen, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south, and three facing east. The sea was set on them, and all their rear parts were inward. Its thickness was a handbreadth, and its brim was made like the brim of a cup, like the flower of a lily. It held 2,000 baths. So this is a huge um, basin, basically, to hold water at the temple. Um, ornately um, uh, created and, and crafted. And then we have some smaller um, basins and their stands beginning in verse 27. He also made the 10 stands of bronze. Each stand was four cubits long, four cubits wide, and three cubits high. This was the construction of the stands. They had panels and the panels were set in the frames. And on the panels that were set in the frames were lions, oxen, and cherubim. On the frames, both above and below the lions and oxen, there were wreaths of beveled work. Moreover, each stand had four bronze wheels and axles of bronze, and at the four corners were supports for a basin. The supports were cast with wreaths at the side of each. Its opening was within a crown that was projected upward one cubit. Its opening was round as a pedestal is made, a cubit and a half deep. At its opening, there were carvings, and its panels were square, not round, and the four wheels were underneath the panels. The axles of the wheels were of one piece with the stands, and the height of a wheel was a cubit and a half. The wheels were made like a chariot wheel. Their axles, their rims, their spokes, and their hubs were all cast. There were four supports at the four corners of each stand. The supports were of one piece with the stands, and on the top of the stand there was a round band half a cubit high, and on the top of the stand its stays and its panels were of one piece with it. And on the surfaces of its stays and on its panels he carved cherubim, lions, and palm trees, garden imagery again, according to the space of each within wreaths all around. After this manner he made the ten stands, all of them were cast alike, of the same measure and the same form. So these are 10 stands that are going to have 10 basins of water that we're about to read about um, that they hold. Um, but one thing that, that is striking to me about this passage, and maybe this will interest you as well, is he describes how these stands have these pictures of uh, lions and oxen and cherubim on them. And he also talks about the wheels that are on these stands so that they can be moved uh, around from place to place. And it's very similar 
in some striking ways to the way Ezekiel describes his vision of the glorious presence of God in Ezekiel chapter 1. Um, and you just have to go read that and check it out for yourself, but be on the lookout for lion, oxen, um, maybe even cherubim. Be on the lookout for interesting wheels. Um, it's a um, almost unparalleled vision, the way Ezekiel describes it. Um, but it seems like maybe it, it has some significant imagery drawn from the temple and specifically from these stands for these basins. So might want to check that out. Verse 38, and he made 10 basins of bronze. Each basin held 40 baths. Each basin measured four cubits. And there was a basin for each of the 10 stands. And he set the stands five on the south side of the house and five on the north side of the house. And he set the sea at the southeast corner of the house. Hiram also made the pots, the shovels, and the basins. So Hiram finished all the work that he did for King Solomon on the house of the Lord. The two pillars, the two bowls of the capitals that were on the tops of the pillars, and the two lattice works to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on the tops of the pillars, and the 400 pomegranates for the two lattice works, two rows of pomegranates for each lattice work to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on the pillars, the 10 stands and the 10 basins on the stands, and the one sea and the 12 oxen underneath the sea. So here we've got a list of all the things that Hiram built. And the main emphasis here is that Hiram finished all the work in verse 40. He finished all the work that was given to him to do on the tabernacle, or excuse me, on the temple, uh, the house of the Lord for King Solomon. All right, and then verse 45 goes back from Hiram to now. Solomon, and it says, Now the pots, the shovels, and the basins, all these vessels in the house of the Lord, which Hiram made for King Solomon, were of burnished bronze. In the plain of the Jordan, the king cast them in the clay ground between Sukkoth and Zarethan. And Solomon left all the vessels unweighed because there were so many of them, the weight of the bronze was not ascertained. So there again, you have, so I guess it doesn't switch to Solomon, but then you have. Uh, again, reference to Hiram making these things for King Solomon. Um, then verse 46, is that now talking about Solomon the king? Or is Hiram really the king? Anyway, they make all these vessels, whoever's, whoever's doing that. And then verse 47 uh, says there were so many of these that Solomon didn't even weigh them, didn't even record you know, how much bronze was used because there was just so much. Right, then verse 48, that, sorry, this is where it switches to Solomon. So Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of the Lord, the golden altar, the golden table for the bread of the presence, the lampstands of pure gold, five on the south side and five on the north before the inner sanctuary, the flowers, the lamps, and the tongs of gold, the cups, snuffers, basins, dishes for incense, and firepans of pure gold, and the sockets of gold for the doors of the innermost part of the house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the nave of the temple. So there's a list of all the things that Solomon made, um, these things made of gold instead of uh, bronze, um, which is what Hiram was working with. Right? Then verse 51, uh, last verse says, Thus all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. 
And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the vessels, and stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. So remember that, uh, that David had wanted to build the temple. He'd even made some of the preparations for the building of the temple. And now David's desire has been fulfilled according to God's promise in the work of his son Solomon, whom God gave wisdom to build a dwelling place for the Lord. So next time, hopefully we'll get to see some of the drama uh, in, the, in a positive sense, some of the, the exciting drama around the completion and maybe even the dedication of the temple. God bless.